Chapter Two of A Story of the Days to Come. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Story of the Days to Come by H. G. Wells. Chapter Two The Vacant Country. The world, they say, changed more between the year 1800 and the year 1900 than it had done in the previous 500 years. That century, the 19th century, was the dawn of a new epoch in the history of mankind, the epoch of the great cities, the end of the old order of country life in the beginning of the nineteenth century the majority of mankind still lived upon the countryside as their way of life had been for countless generations all over the world they dwelt in little towns and villages then and engaged either directly in agriculture or in occupations that were of service to the agriculturalist they traveled rarely and dwelt close to their work because swift means of transit had not yet come the few who traveled went either on foot or in slow sailing ships or by means of jogging horses incapable of more than sixty miles a day think of it sixty miles a day here and there in those sluggish times a town grew a little larger than its neighbors as a port or as a center of government but all the towns in the world with more than a hundred thousand inhabitants could be counted on a man's fingers so it was in the beginning of the nineteenth century by the end the invention of railways telegraphs steamships and complex agricultural machinery had changed all these things changed them beyond all hope of return the vast shops the varied pleasures the countless conveniences of the larger towns were suddenly possible and no sooner existed than they were brought into competition with the homely resources of the rural centers mankind were drawn to the cities by an overwhelming attraction the demand for labor fell with the increase of machinery the local markets were entirely superseded and there was a rapid growth of the larger centers at the expense of the open country the flow of population townward was the constant preoccupation of victorian writers in great britain and new england in india and china the same thing was remarked everywhere a few swollen towns were visibly replacing the ancient orders that this was an inevitable result of improved means of travel and transport that given swift means of transit these things must be was realized by few and the most puerile schemes were devised to overcome the mysterious magnetism of the urban centers and keep the people on the land 
yet the developments of the nineteenth century were only the dawning of the new order the first great cities of the new time were horribly inconvenient darkened by smoky fogs insanitary and noisy but the discovery of new methods of building new methods of heating changed all this between nineteen hundred and two thousand the march of change was still more rapid and between two thousand and twenty one hundred the continually accelerated progress of human invention made the reign of victoria the good seem at last an almost incredible vision of idyllic tranquil days the introduction of railways was only the first step in that development of those means of locomotion which finally revolutionized human life by the year two thousand railways and roads had vanished together the railways robbed of their rails had become weedy ridges and ditches upon the face of the world the old roads strange barbaric tracks of flint and soil hammered by hand or rolled by rough iron rollers strewn with miscellaneous filth and cut by iron hoofs and wheels into ruts and puddles often many inches deep had been replaced by patent tracks made of a substance called edomite this edomite it was named after its patentee ranks with the invention of printing and steam as one of the epic-making discoveries of the world's history when edom discovered the substance he probably thought of it as a mere cheap substitute for india rubber it cost a few shillings a ton but you can never tell all an invention will do it was the genius of a man named warming that pointed to the possibility of using it not only for the tires of wheels but as a road substance and who organized the enormous network of public ways that speedily covered the world these public ways were made with longitudinal divisions on the outer on either side went foot cyclists and conveyances traveling at a less speed than twenty-five miles an hour in the middle motors capable of speed up to a hundred and the inner warming in the face of enormous ridicule reserved for vehicles traveling at speeds of a hundred miles an hour and upward for ten years his inner ways were vacant before he died they were the most crowded of all and vast light frameworks with wheels of twenty and thirty feet in diameter hurled along them at paces that year after year rose steadily towards two hundred miles an hour and by the time this revolution was accomplished a parallel revolution had transformed the ever-growing cities before the development of practical science the fogs and filth of victorian times vanished electric heating replaced fires 
in twenty thirteen the lighting of a fire that did not absolutely consume its own smoke was made an indictable nuisance and all the city ways all public squares and places were covered in with a recently invented glass-like substance the roofing of london became practically continuous certain short-sighted and foolish legislation against tall buildings was abolished and london from a squat expanse of petty houses feebly archaic in design rose steadily towards the sky to the municipal responsibility for water light and drainage was added another and that was ventilation but to tell of all the changes in human convenience that these two hundred years brought about to tell of the long-foreseen invention of flying to describe how life in households was steadily supplanted by life in interminable hotels how at last even those who were still concerned in agricultural work came to live in the towns and to go to and fro to their work every day to describe how at last in all england only four towns remained each with many millions of people and how there were left no inhabited houses in all the countryside to tell all this would take us far from our story of denton and his elizabeth they had been separated and reunited and still they could not marry for denton it was his only fault had no money neither had elizabeth until she was twenty-one and as yet she was only eighteen at twenty-one all the property of her mother would come to her for that was the custom of the time she did not know that it was possible to anticipate her fortune and denton was far too delicate a lover to suggest such a thing so things stuck hopelessly between them elizabeth said that she was very unhappy and that nobody understood her but denton and that when she was away from him she was wretched and denton said that his heart longed for her day and night and they met as often as they could to enjoy the discussion of their sorrows they met one day at their little seat upon the flying stage the precise site of this meeting was where in victorian times the road from wimbledon came out upon the common they were however five hundred feet above that point their seat looked far over london to convey the appearance of it all to a nineteenth-century reader would have been difficult one would have had to tell him to think of the crystal palace of the newly built mammoth hotels as those little affairs were called of the larger railway stations of his time and to imagine such buildings enlarged to vast proportions and run together and continuous over the whole metropolitan area if then he was told that this continuous roof space bore a huge forest of rotating wind wheels 
he would have begun very dimly to appreciate what to these young people was the commonest sight in their lives to their eyes it had something of the quality of a prison and they were talking as they had talked a hundred times before of how they might escape from it and be at last happy together escape from it that is before the appointed three years were at an end it was they both agreed not only impossible but almost wicked to wait three years before that said denton and the notes of his voice told of a splendid chest we might both be dead their vigorous young hands had to grip at this and then elizabeth had a still more poignant thought that brought the tears from her wholesome eyes and down her healthy cheeks one of us she said one of us might be she choked she could not say the word that is so terrible to the young and happy yet to marry and to be very poor in the cities of that time was for any one who had lived pleasantly a very dreadful thing in the old agricultural days that had drawn to an end in the eighteenth century there had been a pretty proverb of love in a cottage and indeed in those days the poor of the countryside had dwelt in flower-covered diamond-windowed cottages of thatch and plaster with the sweet air and earth about them amidst tangled hedges and the song of birds and with the ever-changing sky overhead but all this had changed the change was already beginning in the nineteenth century and a new sort of life was opening for the poor in the lower quarters of the city in the nineteenth century the lower quarters were still beneath the sky they were areas of land on clay or other unsuitable soil liable to floods or exposed to the smoke of more fortunate districts insufficiently supplied with water and as insanitary as the great fear of infectious diseases felt by the wealthier classes permitted in the twenty-second century however the growth of the city story above story and the coalescence of buildings had led to a different arrangement the prosperous people lived in a vast series of sumptuous hotels in the upper stories and halls of the city fabric the industrial population dwelt beneath in the tremendous ground floor and basement so to speak of the place in the refinement of life and manners these lower classes differed little from their ancestors the east enders of queen victoria's time but they had developed a distinct dialect of their own in these underways they lived and died rarely ascending to the surface except when work took them there since for most of them this was the sort of life to which they had been born they found no great misery in such circumstances but for people like denton and elizabeth 
such a plunge would have seemed more terrible than death and yet what else is there asked elizabeth denton professed not to know apart from his own feeling of delicacy he was not sure how elizabeth would like the idea of borrowing on the strength of her expectations the passage from london to paris even said elizabeth was beyond their means and in paris as in any other city in the world life would be just as costly and impossible as in london well might denton cry aloud if only we had lived in those days dearest if only we had lived in the past for to their eyes even nineteenth-century whitechapel was seen through a mist of romance is there nothing cried elizabeth suddenly weeping must we really wait for those three long years fancy three years six and thirty months the human capacity for patience had not grown with the ages then suddenly denton was moved to speak of something that had already flickered across his mind he had hit upon it at last it seemed to him so wild a suggestion that he made it only half seriously but to put a thing into words has ever a way of making it seem more real and possible than it seemed before and so it was with him suppose he said we went into the country she looked at him to see if he was serious in proposing such an adventure the country yes beyond there beyond the hills how could we live she said where could we live it is not impossible he said people used to live in the country but then there were houses there are the ruins of villages and towns now on the clay lands they are gone of course but they are still left on the grazing land because it does not pay the food company to remove them i know that for certain besides one sees them from the flying machines you know well we might shelter in some one of these and repair it with our hands do you know the thing is not so wild as it seems some of the men who go out every day to look after the crops and herds might be paid to bring us food she stood in front of him how strange it would be if one really could why not but no one dares that is no reason it would be oh it would be so romantic and strange if only it were possible why not possible there are so many things think of all the things we have things that we should miss should we miss them after all the life we lead is very unreal very artificial he began to expand his idea and as he warmed to his exposition the fantastic quality of his first proposal faded away she thought but i have heard of prowlers escaped criminals he nodded he hesitated over his answer because he thought it sounded boyish he blushed 
I could get someone I know to make me a sword. She looked at him with enthusiasm growing in her eyes. She had heard of swords, had seen one in a museum. She thought of those ancient days when men wore them as a common thing. His suggestion seemed an impossible dream to her, and perhaps for that reason she was eager for more detail. And inventing for the most part as he went along, he told her how they might live in the country as the old world people had done. With every detail her interest grew, for she was one of those girls for whom romance and adventure have a fascination. His suggestion seemed, I say, an impossible dream to her on that day. But the next day they talked about it again, and it was strangely less impossible. At first we should take food, said Denton. We could carry food for ten or twelve days. It was an age of compact artificial nourishment, and such a provision had none of the unwieldy suggestion it would have had in the nineteenth century. But until our house she asked until it was ready where should we sleep it is summer but what do you mean there was a time when there were no houses in the world when all mankind slept always in the open air but for us the emptiness no walls no ceiling dear he said in london you have many beautiful ceilings artists paint them and stud them with lights but i have seen a ceiling more beautiful than any in london but where it is the ceiling under which we two would be alone you mean dear he said it is something the world has forgotten it is heaven and all the host of stars each time they talked, the thing seemed more possible and more desirable to them. In a week or so, it was quite possible. Another week, and it was the inevitable thing they had to do. A great enthusiasm for the country seized hold of them and possessed them. The sordid tumult of the town, they said, overwhelmed them. They marveled that this simple way out of their troubles had never come upon them before. One morning, near Midsummer Day, there was a new minor official upon the flying stage, and Denton's place was to know him no more. Our two young people had secretly married, and were going forth manfully out of the city in which they and their ancestors before them had lived all their days she wore a new dress of white cut in an old-fashioned pattern and he had a bundle of provisions strapped athwart his back and in his hand he carried rather shamefacedly it is true and under his purple cloak an implement of archaic form a cross-hilted thing of tempered steel imagine that going forth in their days the sprawling suburbs of victorian times with their vile roads 
petty houses foolish little gardens of shrub and geranium and all their feudal pretentious privacies had disappeared the towering buildings of the new age the mechanical ways the electric and water mains all came to an end together like a wall like a cliff near four hundred feet in height abrupt and sheer all about the city spread the carrot swede and turnip fields of the food company vegetables that were the basis of a thousand varied foods and weeds and hedgerow tangles had been utterly extirpated the incessant expense of weeding that went on year after year in the petty wasteful and barbaric farming of the ancient days the food company had economized forevermore by a campaign of extermination here and there however neat rows of bramble standards and apple trees with whitewashed stems intersected the fields and at places groups of gigantic teasels reared their favored spikes here and there huge agricultural machines hunched under waterproof covers the mingled waters of the way and mole and wandle ran in rectangular channels and wherever a gentle elevation of the ground permitted a fountain of deodorized sewage distributed its benefits athwart the land and made a rainbow of the sunlight by a great archway in that enormous city wall emerged the edomite road to portsmouth swarming in the morning sunshine with an enormous traffic bearing the blue-clad servants of the food company to their toil a rushing traffic beside which they seemed two scarce moving dots along the outer tracks hummed and rattled the tardy little old-fashioned motors of such as had duties within twenty miles or so of the city the inner ways were filled with vaster mechanisms swift motorcycles bearing a score of men lank multi-cycles quadricycles sagging with heavy loads empty gigantic produce carts that would come back again filled before the sun was setting all with throbbing engines and noiseless wheels and a perpetual wild melody of horns and gongs along the very verge of the outermost way our young people went in silence newly wed and oddly shy of one another's company many were the things shouted to them as they tramped along for in twenty one hundred a foot passenger on an english road was almost as strange a sight as a motor-car would have been in eighteen hundred but they went on with steadfast eyes into the country paying no heed to such cries before them in the south rose the downs blue at first and as they came nearer changing to green surmounted by the row of gigantic wind-wheels 
that supplemented the wind-wheels upon the roof-spaces of the city, and broken and restless with the long morning shadows of those whirling vanes. By midday they had come so near that they could see here and there little patches of pallid dots, the sheep the meat department of the food company owned. In another hour they had passed the clay and the root crops and the single fence that hedged them in, and the prohibition against trespass no longer held. The leveled roadway plunged into a cutting with all its traffic, and they could leave it and walk over the greensward and up the open hillside. Never had these children of the latter days been together in such a lonely place. They were both very hungry and footsore, for walking was a rare exercise, and presently they sat down on the weedless, close-cropped grass and looked back for the first time at the city from which they had come, shining wide and splendid in the blue haze of the valley of the Thames. Elizabeth was a little afraid of the unenclosed sheep away up the slope. She had never been near big, unrestrained animals before, but Denton reassured her and overhead a white-winged bird circled in the blue. They talked but little until they had eaten, and then their tongues were loosened. He spoke of the happiness that was now certainly theirs, of the folly of not breaking sooner out of that magnificent prison of latter-day life, of the old romantic days that had passed from the world forever, and then he became boastful he took up the sword that lay on the ground beside him and she took it from his hand and ran a tremulous finger along the blade and you could she said you could raise this and strike a man why not if there were need but she said it seems so horrible it would slash there would be her voice sank blood in the old romances you have read often enough oh i know in those yes but that is different one knows it is not blood but just a sort of red ink and you killing she looked at him doubtfully and then handed him back the sword after they had rested and eaten, they rose up and went on their way towards the hills. They passed quite close to a huge flock of sheep who stared and bleated at their unaccustomed figures. She had never seen sheep before, and she shivered to think such gentle things must needs be slain for food. A sheepdog barked from a distance, and then a shepherd appeared amidst the supports of the wind-wheels and came down towards them. When he drew near, he called out, asking whither they were going. Denton hesitated and told him briefly that they sought some ruined house among the downs in which they might live together. He tried to speak in an offhand manner as though it was a usual thing to do. 
the man stared incredulously have you done anything he asked nothing said denton only we don't want to live in a city any longer why should we live in cities the shepherd stared more incredulously than ever you can't live here he said we mean to try the shepherd stared from one to the other you'll go back to-morrow he said it looks pleasant enough in the sunlight are you sure you've done nothing we shepherds are not such great friends of the police denton looked at him steadfastly no he said but we are too poor to live in the city and we can't bear the thought of wearing clothes of blue canvas and doing drudgery we are going to live a simple life here like the people of old the shepherd was a bearded man with a thoughtful face he glanced at elizabeth's fragile beauty they had simple minds he said so have we said denton the shepherd smiled if you go along here he said along the crest beneath the wind wheels you will see a heap of mounds and ruins on your right-hand side that was once a town called epsom there are no houses there and the bricks have been used for a sheep pen go on and another heap on the edge of the root land is leatherhead and then the hill turns away along the border of a valley and there are woods of beech keep along the crest you will come to quite wild places in some parts in spite of all the weeding that is done ferns and bluebells and other such useless plants are growing still and through it all underneath the wind wheels runs a straight lane paved with stones a roadway of the romans two thousand years old go to the right of that down into the valley and follow it along by the banks of the river you come presently to a street of houses many with roofs still sound upon them there you may find shelter they thanked him but it's a quiet place there is no light after dark there and i have heard tell of robbers it is lonely nothing happens there the phonographs of the storytellers the kinematograph entertainments the news machines none of them are to be found there if you are hungry there is no food if you are ill no doctor he stopped we shall try it said denton moving to go on then a thought struck him and he made an agreement with the shepherd and learnt where they might find him to buy and bring them anything of which they stood in need out of the city and in the evening they came to the deserted village with its houses that seemed so small and odd to them they found it golden in the glory of the sunset and desolate and still they went from one deserted house to another marveling at their quaint simplicity and debating which they should choose and at last in a sunlit corner of a room that had lost its outer wall 
they came upon a wild flower a little flower of blue that the weeders of the food company had overlooked that house they decided upon but they did not remain in it long that night because they were resolved to feast upon nature and moreover the houses became very gaunt and shadowy after the sunlight had faded out of the sky so after they had rested a little time they went to the crest of the hill again to see with their own eyes the silence of heaven set with stars about which the old poets had had so many things to tell it was a wonderful sight and denton talked like the stars and when they went down the hill at last the sky was pale with dawn they slept but little and in the morning when they woke a thrush was singing in a tree so these young people of the twenty-second century began their exile that morning they were very busy exploring the resources of this new home in which they were going to live the simple life they did not explore very fast or very far because they went everywhere hand in hand but they found the beginnings of some furniture beyond the village was a store of winter fodder for the sheep of the food company and denton dragged great armfuls to the house to make a bed and in several of the houses were old fungus-eaten chairs and tables rough barbaric clumsy furniture it seemed to them and made of wood they repeated many of the things they had said on the previous day and towards evening they found another flower a harebell in the late afternoon some company shepherds went down the river valley riding on a big multi-cycle but they hid from them because their presence elizabeth said seemed to spoil the romance of this old-world place altogether in this fashion they lived a week for all that week the days were cloudless and the nights nights of starry glory that were invaded each a little more by a crescent moon yet something of the first splendor of their coming faded faded imperceptibly day after day denton's eloquence became fitful and lacked fresh topics of inspiration the fatigue of their long march from london told in a certain stiffness of the limbs and each suffered from a slight unaccountable cold moreover denton became aware of unoccupied time in one place among the carelessly heaped lumber of the old times he found a rust-eaten spade and with this he made a fitful attack on the raised and grass-grown garden though he had nothing to plant or sow he returned to elizabeth with a sweat-streaming face after half an hour of such work there were giants in those days he said not understanding what want and training will do and their walk that day led them along the hills until they could see the city shimmering far away in the valley 
I wonder how things are going on there, he said. And then came a change in the weather. Come out and see the clouds, she cried, and behold, they were a somber purple in the north and east, streaming up to ragged edges at the zenith. And as they went up the hill, these hurrying streamers blotted out the sunset. Suddenly the wind set the beech trees swaying and whispering, and Elizabeth shivered. And then far away the lightning flashed, flashed like a sword that is drawn suddenly. And the distant thunder marched about the sky, and even as they stood astonished, pattering upon them came the first headlong raindrops of the storm. In an instant the last streak of sunset was hidden by a falling curtain of hail, and the lightning flashed again, and the voice of the thunder roared louder, and all about them the world scowled dark and strange. Seizing hands, these children of the city ran down the hill to their home, in infinite astonishment. And ere they reached it, Elizabeth was weeping with dismay, and the darkling ground about them was white and brittle and active with pelting hail. Then began a strange and terrible night for them. For the first time in their civilized lives, they were in absolute darkness. They were wet and cold and shivering. All about them hissed the hail and through the long-neglected ceilings of the derelict home came noisy spouts of water and formed pools and rivulets on the creaking floors. As the gusts of the storm struck the worn-out building, it groaned and shuddered, and now a mass of plaster from the wall would slide and smash, and now some loosened tile would rattle down the roof and crash into the empty greenhouse below. Elizabeth shuddered and was still. Denton wrapped his gay and flimsy city cloak about her, and so they crouched in the darkness. And ever the thunder broke louder and nearer, and ever more lurid flashed the lightning, jerking into a momentary gaunt clearness the steaming dripping room in which they sheltered never before had they been in the open air save when the sun was shining all their time had been spent in the warm and airy ways and halls and rooms of the latter-day city it was to them that night as if they were in some other world some disordered chaos of stress and tumult and almost beyond hoping that they should ever see the city ways again. The storm seemed to last interminably, until at last they dozed between the thunderclaps, and then, very swiftly, it fell and ceased. And as the last patter of the rain died away, they heard an unfamiliar sound. "'What is that?' cried Elizabeth. It came again. It was the barking of dogs. It drove down the desert lane and passed, 
and through the window whitening the wall before them and throwing upon it the shadow of the window frame and of a tree in black silhouette shone the light of the waxing moon just as the pale dawn was drawing the things about them into sight the fitful barking of the dogs came near again and stopped they listened after a pause they heard the quick pattering of feet seeking round the house and short half-smothered barks then again everything was still Shh, whispered elizabeth and pointed to the door of their room denton went halfway towards the door and stood listening he came back with a face of affected unconcern they must be the sheep-dogs of the food company he said they will do us no harm he sat down again beside her what a night it has been he said to hide how keenly he was listening i don't like dogs answered elizabeth after a long silence dogs never hurt anyone said denton in the old days in the nineteenth century everybody had a dog there was a romance i heard once a dog killed a man not this sort of dog said denton confidently some of those romances are exaggerated suddenly a half bark and a pattering up the staircase the sound of panting denton sprang to his feet and drew the sword out of the damp straw upon which they had been lying then in the doorway appeared a gaunt sheep-dog and halted there behind it stared another for an instant man and brute faced each other hesitating then denton being ignorant of dogs made a sharp step forward go away he said with a clumsy motion of his sword the dog started and growled denton stopped sharply good dog he said the growling jerked into a bark good dog said denton the second dog growled and barked a third out of sight down the staircase took up the barking also outside others gave tongue a large number it seemed to denton this is annoying said denton without taking his eyes off the brutes before him of course the shepherds won't come out of the city for hours yet naturally these dogs don't quite make us out i can't hear shouted elizabeth she stood up and came to him denton tried again but the barking still drowned his voice the sound had a curious effect upon his blood odd disused emotions began to stir his face changed as he shouted he tried again the barking seemed to mock him and one dog danced a pace forward bristling suddenly he turned and uttering certain words in the dialect of the underways words incomprehensible to elizabeth he made for the dogs there was a sudden cessation of the barking a growl and a snapping elizabeth saw the snarling head of the foremost dog 
its white teeth and retracted ears, and the flash of the thrust blade. The brute leapt into the air and was flung back. Then Denton, with a shout, was driving the dogs before him. The sword flashed above his head with a sudden new freedom of gesture, and then he vanished down the staircase. She made six steps to follow him, and on the landing there was blood. She stopped, and hearing the tumult of dogs and Denton's shouts pass out of the house, ran to the window. Nine wolfish sheep-dogs were scattering, one writhed before the porch, and Denton, tasting that strange delight of combat that slumbers still in the blood of even the most civilized man, was shouting and running across the garden space, and then she saw something that for a moment he did not see. The dogs circled round this way and that, and came again. They had him in the open. In an instant she divined the situation. She would have called to him. For a moment she felt sick and helpless, and then, obeying a strange impulse, she gathered up her white skirt and ran downstairs. In the hall was the rusting spade. That was it. She seized it and ran out. She came none too soon. One dog rolled before him, well nigh slashed in half. But a second had him by the thigh. A third gripped his collar behind, and a fourth had the blade of the sword between its teeth, tasting its own blood. He parried the leap of a fifth with his left arm. It might have been the first century instead of the twenty-second, so far as she was concerned. All the gentleness of her eighteen years of city life vanished before this primordial need. The spade smote hard and sure, and cleft a dog's skull. Another, crouching for a spring, yelped with dismay at this unexpected antagonist, and rushed aside. Two, wasted precious moments on the binding of a feminine skirt the collar of denton's cloak tore and parted as he staggered back and that dog too felt the spade and ceased to trouble him he sheathed his sword in the brute at his thigh to the wall cried elizabeth and in three seconds the fight was at an end and our young people stood side by side while a remnant of five dogs with ears and tails of disaster fled shamefully from the stricken field for a moment they stood panting and victorious and then elizabeth dropping her spade covered her face and sank to the ground in a paroxysm of weeping denton looked about him thrust the point of his sword into the ground so that it was at hand, and stooped to comfort her. At last their more tumultuous emotions subsided, and they could talk again. She leaned upon the wall, and he sat upon it so that he could keep an eye open for any returning dogs. 
two at any rate were up on the hillside and keeping up a vexatious barking she was tear-stained but not very wretched now because for half an hour he had been repeating that she was brave and had saved his life but a new fear was growing in her mind they are the dogs of the food company she said there will be trouble i am afraid so very likely they will prosecute us for trespass a pause in the old times he said this sort of thing happened day after day last night she said i could not live through another such night he looked at her her face was pale for want of sleep and drawn and haggard he came to a sudden resolution we must go back he said she looked at the dead dogs and shivered we cannot stay here she said we must go back he repeated glancing over his shoulder to see if the enemy kept their distance we have been happy for a time but the world is too civilized ours is the age of cities more of this will kill us but what are we to do how can we live there denton hesitated his heel kicked against the wall on which he sat it's a thing i haven't mentioned before he said and coughed but yes you could raise money on your expectations he said could i she said eagerly of course you could what a child you are she stood up and her face was bright why did you not tell me before she asked and all this time we have been here he looked at her for a moment and smiled then the smile vanished i thought it ought to come from you he said i didn't like to ask for your money and besides at first i thought this would be rather fine there was a pause it has been fine he said and glanced once more over his shoulder until all this began yes she said those first days the first three days they looked for a space into one another's faces and then denton slid down from the wall and took her hand to each generation he said the life of its time i see it all plainly now in the city that is the life to which we were born to live in any other fashion coming here was a dream and this is the awakening it was a pleasant dream she said in the beginning for a long space neither spoke if we would reach the city before the shepherds come here we must start said denton we must get our food out of the house and eat as we go denton glanced about him again and giving the dead dogs a wide berth they walked across the garden space and into the house together they found the wallet with their food and descended the blood-stained stairs again in the hall elizabeth stopped one minute she said there is something here 
she led the way into the room in which that one little blue flower was blooming she stooped to it she touched it with her hand i want it she said and then i cannot take it impulsively she stooped and kissed its petals then silently side by side they went across the empty garden space into the old high road and set their faces resolutely towards the distant city towards the complex mechanical city of those latter days the city that had swallowed up mankind End of chapter two